To me, you know, the best motorcycle in the world is a Harley Davidson, and it always has been, and it always will be. It's just like, you know, it's it's just ingrained. It's just cool and rich in history and style and you know you can't deny that harley davidson is just i can't even explain it it's just ingrained into my soul my name's dean mcatish and i'm one of the co-founders of dice magazine i grew up in south london i had kind of an unusual upbringing um my father was in a rock and roll band and was obsessed with Americana in the 1950s. So my youth was spent growing up listening to Chuck Berry and driving around in old 50s American cars and wearing Levi's. It's always been in my blood to um, obsess and be passionate about all things American, and uh, that included cars and motorcycles. Um, and from a very young age, you know, a lot of my dad's friends who he knew through having old vehicles, had bikes and cars and things like that. So um, when I was about 11 years old, one of his friends had a 1951 Royal Enfield for sale. I think it was about 200 quid. And he bought it. I don't know why he bought it, because he's not really into bikes. He's more into cars. But I think, you know, he just liked the look of it and had it. And of course, as soon as he got it, I was like, oh, man, I need to ride that thing. And, you know, from riding a bicycle to riding a motorcycle it's yeah in england it's it's a big jump because we don't really grow up riding dirt bikes like a lot of the american kids we kind of ride bicycles until we're about 21 and leave home when we're about 38 yeah he took me out to this parking lot with the motorcycle i was 11 so it was 1991 um and this thing was it was a 125 motorcycle so it was a, it was a tiny little bike it was actually called the Flying Flea uh, by Royal Enfield, but it was hand clutch tank shift. I thought I had pretty good balance back then, and uh, I was proved wrong on the first go. But I did get the hang of it. So after I crashed it once, laid it down, I just putted around on this thing in the parking lot, and that was it. I was like, "This is great," because it was kind of, I mean, it sounds crazy, but you know, it was just my my mum and dad in the background, and I was like, "I'm getting away from them. This is a real escape." Any chance I would get, my dad would go to car shows, like vintage car shows, and hook a little trailer up, bring the bike, and I would just part around in the field. Or, you know, if it was a, a private little setting that wasn't on the road. Um, and that was my first kind of, you know, um, experience of motorcycles, and it was a it was a vintage one. So I just dived straight in. I met Matt in 19, must have been about 1994, 1995. I was 14 or 15. And like I said, there was this whole kind of like underground rock and roll car, Americana lifestyle culture in London. And so there'd be these different clubs, you know, throughout London on the weekends and stuff like that. And people would ride their bikes and drive their cars and have a great time. It was there that I met Matt one night in, it was North London, Camden Town. There was a pub called the Russell Arms and our friend Mouse was the DJ and he was playing really good rock and roll and people were dancing and, you know, it was just a really cool, fun and exciting time in London. And he was just part of that scene. I remember just, you know, 
seeing him around and being on his bike and his car and, you know, I always thought he's super cool, but from a distance, you know, and we just at some point just kind of got introduced to each other and it was like, Hey, you know, he said something like, Hey, I really like your shirt. I was wearing some crazy like pink and black diamond shirt, some rockabilly fifties thing. And, and I was like, yeah, man, I really like your car. And he's like, ah, oh, cool. And it kind of all sparked from there. And then of course, you know, my dad had a chop 50 Merc and he had a 34 Ford and, you know, I was trying to build this 32 Roadster at the time to get running for when I was ready to drive and, you know, all this stuff. So, but with Matt, Matt was actually, I was born in 1980 and Matt was born in 1960. So there was, there was a 20 year difference. Um, you know, I was 15, he was 35. It was kind of like, there was a big age gap, but it didn't really matter because there was all these different people that were all hanging around at the same time. And it just, you know, that's how we met. So Matt was somebody I really, really looked up to on a, so many different levels. He was just really positive and really like excited about things. And he, you know, even to the end, he would always just see the good in everything, you know, where I can kind of get a little bit mental and be like, oh, what, you know, what does that mean? Or why, why did that guy say that? Or, you know, like, he's like, who cares, man? Just, you know, just have fun. Don't worry about it. Like he really opened my eyes to be um, a bit more open-minded too. So at this time, you know, I was listening to fifties music and driving fifties cars and wearing fifties clothes. And at the time I didn't think it was weird. And he was like, Hey man, have you heard Oasis's new record? I'm like, what, what? That wasn't made in the fifties. You can't listen to that. Like that kind of thing. And it was really mental. And he was like, no, man, you're going to love it. And so, you know, I looked up to him because he was just so open-minded and he really honestly didn't care what other people thought. He just did what he was passionate about. You know, he, one of the good things about starting Dice, it came from his outlook on life as far as he told me a story that changed his life. And it was, you know, around 1976, he was 16 years old. He was kind of listening to the Rolling Stones and had like a, you know, like a nice blow dried haircut and flares and stuff like that. And his friend said to him, you've got to come and see this band play tonight. There's this new rock and roll band. You're going to love them. They're called The Damned. He went to this college, to this gig where there was 10 people in the audience and he saw The Damned play live. And he said from that second, it honestly, it just blew his mind. He was like, wait a minute, they're just kids up there doing this, you know, because of course it was like always the older generation that told the younger generation what to do. And this was the turning point where he was like, this is, you know, you live how you want to live. It doesn't matter how old you are. You, you don't get told what to do by somebody else. You just go for it. So he went home, got a pair of scissors, cut his own hair, all messy. And from that day on, he said, you know, this was before the term punk rock had been coined. He said, because in 1977, by the term when the term came out and it was national press, punk is over at that point because it's too mainstream. You know, this is like doing your own thing and not being labeled. But he said this was like the turning point for him. So he always took that as, you know, rock and roll and punk rock isn't just about music. It's about your state of mind. It's about doing things because you want to do them. Like, don't listen to anyone else. You know, just, you know, as long as you're a nice person and you're not harming anyone, just go for it. And that was so refreshing because. I'd come from like the fifties car world, you know, where it was like so regimented, like, no, your cuffs have to be this high and you have to listen to that. Oh no, that was made in 1960. You can't listen to that. You know, it's just so many rules of a culture that's supposed to be ruleless. I'm like, as soon as Matt told me that, I was like, I get it. 
fast forward to 2001, um, at that point, me and Matt had started a band together called Magnum 500, and it was like a 60s garage kind of loud. I mean, we were terrible, but we did look good on stage. We sounded awful, but we looked good. So we were into like, you know, we were into the whole thing, cars and bikes and music. And uh, I was going to art school at the time. And, you know, just it was just a great time to be in London. And there was like, you know, good music, Oasis and Britpop and whatever you think about that it's just it had its moment and it was just you know it was all it was a really good fun mix um and in 2001 i graduated from st martin's uh college and went to america went to california and you know because my dream had always been to i always knew i was going to live in los angeles i just knew it you know because my whole life everything was just americana like you know i don't like the beatles and i don't like morris minors I like Elvis and I like Harley Davidson's and Levi's and Coca-Cola. Like that is my passion. And it has been even when I was in England. So it was just natural for me to move to LA. So in 2001, I went to LA. Well, actually I was in Orange County living with a friend of mine, Steve Carpenter, and just living the California lifestyle. And back then there was a lot of cars, like, you know, as far as hot rods and stuff like that, there was a big scene for it. But as far as vintage motorcycles, there was hardly anybody under the age of 30 that had a cool old motorcycle. There were the Sinners, a handful of guys that had, you know, really cool Harley Davidson choppers and bobbers and stuff like that. For me to know somebody that was under 30 and owned, say, a panhead was like, no, there was two or three people like that. So um, I went back to England um, after a few months and was talking to Matt about everything that was going on over there and you know obviously he was still he probably because he would buy and sell cars and bikes all the time he'd be like right i'm gonna keep this car this is like my dream car and then three weeks later he's like no i'm gonna sell that car i'm gonna buy this one because this one's my dream car so you know he was just really excited to know what it was like out there and get out there and see what was happening and on one of the trips back it was around 2002 he was like hey man i think we need to start a magazine and i was like what do you mean He's like, well, there are no magazines out there that are catering for what we like. You know, let's just start a magazine with things we love. Nobody's going to buy it, but it'll be fun to do it. And I said, well, yeah, okay. That's, I mean, fair enough. You know, we, I've never really done anything with uh, money in mind to, to be the first kind of goal. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, let's just do it. We're, you know, we never thought it would ever be successful. So I went to his house. Actually, no, he was, he was at that point, he was living on a, on a boat on the river Thames because Matt, you know, he was always like, just very inspirational where it's like, I have this beautiful house in South London, but the mortgage is a lot. And I kind of want to live on a boat. If I sell this house, I could just have a boat. You know, it's like, he was just, he would just, and he didn't really think about it too much. You know, so, so many people overthink everything and never get to do anything. He thinks of it and goes, it'd be great to live on a boat. And two weeks later, he's living on a boat. And he was like, Hey man, check this out. I've got the front cover. I was like, of what? And he was like, that magazine we were talking about. I'm like, oh, yeah, the magazine. Okay. I said, how did you do it? I said, did you get the um, InDesign or something? He said, no, man. He said, check this out. I went to PC World, which is like, you know, like Radio Shack or something. He said, I went to PC World, man. And InDesign was like a thousand pounds. But I bought this. It's exactly the same. And it was 20 quid. And I'm like, it cannot be the same. If that's 20 quid and that's a thousand pounds, this is definitely not the same. He's like, well, the instructions are in Russian. And I can't understand it, but I think we can work it out. 
it was this like PC program for like old women to put um, cards together and print out like little floral designs and stuff. And the funny thing is like we use that, that program for, I mean, years and years and years. Um, but anyway, so I, I rush onto the boat. He's like, check out the cover, man. And I was like, huh, dice, huh? That's cool. And he was like, yeah. I said, well, you know, what does it mean? He was like, nothing. It means nothing. He was like, you know, we want something that's like one word and it's classic and it's clean. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to say choppers and bobbers or or hogs and heart. You know, it's just like just a classic, simple, clean. And I was like, and that's it? He's like, yeah, just thought it might be just sounded good. Like there, there was nothing really behind it except for it was just a, a classic word. And he made the e-big as well. And I was like, oh, I like that. You know, that looks a bit arty to me. I like that. And he's like, yeah, right. It's good. I'm like, yeah, cool. So my first Harley Davidson was a 1966 uh, Sportster Ironhead XLCH that um, me and my friend Scott Craig and Jeff Worms turned into a nice 60s Southern California looking chopper. And of course, I'm super excited. It's my first Harley and, you know, I can barely start it. I'm scared of it, all that good stuff. Um, I remember just we had this ride going on. There was a group of us going. It was me and Matt and my friend Will. And uh, my friend Will pulled me aside and he said, hey, man, we got this uh, we got this kid, man. He's a great photographer. He said, we really want to get some of his stuff in the mag. You know, he's, he's he, you know, he's, he's been hanging around for a couple of months and I'd like to introduce you. He's going to come on the ride with us. And I think Matt lent him this 1970 shovel head, full dresser, huge bike. Um, he said, this is it. His name's Josh Kirpius. I want you to meet him. And I was like, oh, hey, okay. So, and of course, Josh comes up to me and he's like 18 years old. I'm like, hey, man, nice to meet you you know will tells me you're a great photographer and i'd love to see your stuff and he said yeah you know i'd love to get some things in print i'm like yeah it sounds great but the funny thing is so the ride leaves from la and it goes over angela's crest windy mountains zero visibility on what's coming around the next corner and and it's and it's it's beautiful but it's terrifying at the same time you know and i'm on my bike and i'm you know obviously in my mind i'm like do i look good i've got my vest on you know okay cool no front brakes but i'll figure it out um so anyway this 1970 Harley shovel head comes blaring past me and there's this 18 year old kid I've just been introduced to uh, uh, turning around with his camera going into a curve and I'm like oh my god this 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 guy's insane I just think what is he doing because I'd never ridden with Josh before and even back then he was like such a great rider and he's just got so much soul and he feels it that it was just almost like a, it was like ballet. Man, he went into this curve on the biggest bike with no ground clearance, taking pictures. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I mean, I was terrified, but I was like, that guy is a natural and he's insane. And we, of course, we've been best friends ever since. But I was just like, man, that is punk rock. So after the Ironhead, you know, I kind of got a little bit... Um, frustrated with always being the last person in the pack you know everybody's on a big twin they're on the freeway doing you know 75 80 and kind of just like cruising no problems and i'm in the back limit like at the limit just thinking this thing's going to implode at any second just just like just scared out of my mind so i was thinking i've got to get a big twin so like 2000 2008 2009 i was like all right i've got to get a big twin so i found this 57 Harley Panhead on eBay that was in Rome, Georgia. And it was restored in the 90s. It had marble flames on it. It had 
skulls everywhere. It had like tassels. It was like, it was a nightmare. So it got shipped over and I remember just looking at it and I remember Matt looking at it and I was almost in tears thinking, what have I done? Why did I buy this? And of course, Matt in his usual way was like, oh man, this thing's going to be so fantastic. Great. Pass me a wrench. Let's get on this thing. I'm like, really? I'm thinking about sending it back. And he's like, no, man, come on. So we took it apart and it was just on the floor. It was just the frame, the motor, the transmission and the back wheel. And I was like, that's all I'm going to use. And he was like, oh, yeah, we'll put this front end on it. I could put, and I was like, why did I buy a complete bike? He was like, no, it's great. We can sell all the bits you don't use. And I'm like, good thinking. He always, there's always like, you know, the positive, you know, no, nah, this is great. You know, even if it was the worst bike he's ever seen, he's still like excited about it. A good friend of mine, T-Bone Jones from Noise Cycles, he, uh, you know, fabricating motorcycle parts and working on bikes. And he's my favorite motorcycle builder. He's in my eyes, the most talented and has great style. So I remember I called him and I was like, Hey, T-Bone, what's happening? And he's like, Oh, not much. I'm still doing some work. I said, Hey, can I, um, I need some handlebars. And he said, all right. Okay, cool. I said, can I drop the bike off? And he said, Oh, and I just need a couple of other bits and pieces, but mainly some handlebars. He's like, yeah, well, I'm pretty busy. I said, come on. He's like, all right, drop it off at my house. He calls me the next day and he's like, what is this? He said, this needs way more than handlebars. And I was like, well, yeah, it needs, you know, tank mount, sissy bar, fender mount, foot pegs, um, headlight bracket. And, and he was like, yeah, thanks. I was like, come on, man. And he was like, all right, I'll get it done. And he just, in lightning time, just handled it. And I just remember going to his house and being like, oh, man, you're the best. What do I owe you? And he's like, oh, man, that was a lot of sleepless nights. He's like, $500? I'm like, I love you. So then we took it to my other friend, Keo, um, who was at the garage company at the time and he wired it and basically got the clutch adjusted and all that and i've honestly i've been riding that bike ever since i mean it's had a couple of small tweaks but i mean it's i love that bike it's so reliable um yeah i mean 10 years later still riding it i mean i don't get to ride it as much as i used to but i mean it's one of those things that it sounds ridiculous but even if i look at it now i just get goosebumps i'm like oh it's the best bike ever